Developers, 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 developers. Developers, 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 developers. Yes! Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Snyder. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We are recording this on the evening of July 20th, 2017, and tonight we've got our guest speaker, Andy Schwamm, on the show. Andy, welcome. Uh, Andy is a longtime contributor to the development community, eight-time Microsoft MVP, and actually, Andy and I are two of the founders of the Tech Bash Developer Conference uh, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. It's actually coming up here in the first week of October. Go and get your tickets now. Uh, but most importantly, and the real reason that we actually brought him on the show is that Andy is a dev manager and a software architect, a software architect who actually writes code and is actually responsible for shipping software into production, right? That's what we like to do on this show. Real world, focus on the real world. So we brought Andy on the show to talk about how he does, quote, DevOps in the real world, right? So DevOps is a big buzzword these days and so we're not really talking about like the devops that microsoft and google and facebook and netflix talk about you know the ideal the unicorn devops but really the kind of devops where you actually have to ship some code on a on a daily or weekly or monthly basis to please your boss uh and you know in the real world we end up making some some compromises along the way so andy i'm kind of making fun of the term devops um why don't you kick us off by just what does what does DevOps mean to you? You know, what is your definition of DevOps, and do you even care about the definition? Or <laughs> yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to yeah, be here. Thanks yep. for being here. Yep. Back. Yeah. So I actually was thinking about this today uh, in preparation f- for for coming on the show. I was thinking about DevOps, and regardless of what it you know maybe what it really means, but I think when people talk about DevOps, they're talking about what we used to call ALM, Application Lifecycle Management, and a little bit of SDLC. And I, I kind of came up with some places where they all differ. But I think with DevOps, it tends to imply um, doing these things uh, in the in the area of like agile development, right? With uh, with rapid development cycles and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of DevOps is like the flavor of how we build software but in an agile way, as opposed to the maybe the way we used to do it um, when we used to use words that we can't use anymore, or acronyms we can't use anymore, like ALM or SDLC. You know, if you do that, you must not know what you're talking about because that's the old school. But, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of the same thing to some degree. And I, there are yeah. some subtle differences. Yeah, I think one of the one of the um, aspects of what, what makes it DevOps as opposed to the other stuff is that the developers are really more involved, right? That's the dev yeah. part of DevOps. Whereas when it was ALM or whatever you were calling it, um, maybe in those days you were handing off your code to somebody else and they were taking care of the deployment part of it or something like that, you know? Um, also, uh, you know, I think when you're in the DevOps world, um, one of the things that you see used a lot in the DevOps world um, is that DevOps represents a loop, uh, as opposed to, and I guess it's a different way of thinking, but when we called it ALM, I think we were thinking of it more linearly, right? If yeah, that's a word, right. linearly. Right. So um, you get uh, design and then you get requirements, you know, whatever, and then you build it and then you test it and then you ship it. And you were kind of thought of as done, 
Right. There's a beginning and an end. Yeah, there's a beginning and an end. And, and as yeah. software developers, we know that there really isn't really an end, yeah. right? But I think DevOps, uh, where, where it does have some meaning as a, as a word, DevOps, I think it embraces that loop. The fact that after you ship it, you, um, you're not done. Yeah. You're going to analyze it. Uh, also, DevOps puts more of an, inf- uh, an emphasis traditionally, especially the way I was first introduced to DevOps. I think this is a piece that a lot of people leave out. Um, which is the monitoring aspect. When DevOps first was, was pitched to us, I remember a lot of, well, we're going to have instrumentation, uh, of how people use the software and not just bugs, but like really like what buttons are they clicking? You know, like really yeah. good analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think most people, I, I could be wrong, but again, real world we're talking about, I think most people leave that part out. For good or for sure. bad, I'm not, I'm not saying that they should, but I think most people leave out that instrumentation part. But yeah. but then in DevOps, we do get back into that, okay, we shipped it, now we're going to modify it, and we're going to go back to the beginning of the loop again and start all over again, right? And we're doing that in a rapid fashion. And to me, that's sort of you know DevOps. Everything else is just tools that help you do it. Right. So you consider it the full ALM. So you you, you consider both the, the the development activities and and the commits and the builds and everything. That's all part of the the DevOps loop, the DevOps cycle. Or I, I is do it focus more on the release. No, I think it? I tend to I tend to include the whole thing. Now, yeah. um, you know, you can break it into chunks and focus on different aspects of it at different times. But I think of DevOps is a little bit of the whole. The whole thing. And I was looking, again, I, I said I was looking earlier today to think about certain things. And when you look at SDLC as a phrase, that tended to include a lot more requirements and mm. also like even user training was part of like SDLC. User yeah. training, I don't, I don't hear talked about in DevOps world. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like it does leave some things off. And I, I, I don't think really requirements gathering is too much in, in the DevOps world. But if you look at the loop, one of the parts of the loop would be like plan. And so is plan requirements. I mean, I think that it's a gray area, but I, I, I think DevOps in general has less emphasis on requirements and more on the, the technical stuff. Yeah. Right. So tell me a little bit about your environment. And I know we, we all have kind of a rule on this show that we don't really talk about our employers. So we're, you know, we're trying, <laughs> trying to ask you to give me kind of a specific real world example without actually giving away, you know, anything about anything about your employer. But what, do you have you have separate development teams and operations teams? You have separate people who are responsible for managing production infrastructure and are very, um, very uh, interested in uh, in what goes on there and like to control it. And then is that separate from your development team? Are they like two separate entities, or you know, or yes, there are, but they're you have a very good relationship, or like how how does that work? Who manages your environment and who manages your code? Yeah. Okay. So, um, first of all, uh, without talking about my employer, but but where we do, where I where I work and where we do things, we do it right. We do it perfectly. And yeah. So, sure. Uh, no, that's course, the assumption. Right. I just right, want to get right, that right. out there. Like right. you know, that that's we, why we wanted to get you on the show. Yeah. Because we, we do found it, someone. We do who it, does perfectly. it perfectly. So I should really start out by saying though that this. I work at what I would call like a mid-sized company, and I think that's important, right? Because what you do. Uh, and the size of the company really, I think, impacts how how you want to do these things. For example, um, we don't make one product, right? We work in one industry, but right. as developers, we work on I, – I can't even 
guess how many applications we work on, right? right? Internal applications, external applications, web applications, you know, mobile applications, right? Whereas some companies, and you mentioned earlier in, in the, in the introduction, um, when you talk about these like ideals of DevOps and perfection, mm-hmm. a lot of those places work on one piece of software. Right. right. And I, I think that has a lot to do with it. So I'm just sort of setting the stage here. So I work on a, it, you know, it's not a huge operation. I think there's about a hundred people in the uh, IT department, right? And that gets you to what you're asking next is when I say IT in our group, we have in the IT department developers, uh, we actually have business analysts in the IT department, QA, and we have what we call the infrastructure team, right? Which is the ones that are responsible for the servers and things like that. And so um, getting to what you're, what you're trying to get at, I think, is that I don't have the, uh, the keys, as I always call it. I don't have the keys to the production machine. Right. And I like it that way. I think that's a good way to, to do things. And so, yeah, you don't carry the pager. Right. I don't get the pager. Right. Right. Um, but we have a really good relationship. We have a really nice working relationship. Um, and we work together well and we help each other. And, um, when it comes to this kind of stuff, the developers are generally really work hand in hand when it comes to deployments. I mean, I mean, um, we work really hand in hand with, the um, operations team or the, or the infrastructure team as we call them. Yeah, cool. So how do you, how do you work with them? Do you have, so it's, there's two sides of it, process and tools, right? So I guess, would you kind of talk about the process and then talk about how you've incorporated some of the tools to help make that possible or make it easier or more efficient? Yeah, great. Um, And I think, I think you hit on something pretty good there too. Uh, Process and tools, you know, um, DevOps, we think of it as um, and, and continuous integration and continuous delivery and these these phrases we use. We tend to think of them as um, development things or right? things that mm-hmm. developers do, right? But um, they're really more. I think these days they're more akin to like a methodology, right? Like we are agile where I work, right? We're an agile shop. We're somewhat agile. We're, we're pretty agile. We're getting more and more agile, by the way. But but. This whole idea of DevOps or continuous delivery or continuous, really the team has to embrace. I think that's important to, to think about. If I say we're doing DevOps, that's not really good enough, right? Yeah. We have to have yeah. the other teams involved and things like that. So how do we do things? So, um, so we run, um, currently two week sprints. Um, and we, uh, you know, we develop software, we test it. We have, um, we have continuous integration set up. So when we check in code, um, we, and I, I, let me also stop myself and say, when, when I talk about these, I'm going to talk about the best situations that we have. We have plenty of situations, plenty of software applications that we're developing that haven't been brought up into this perfect scenario sure. yet, right? Yeah, it's not right. easy jumping in and trying to take a lot of brownfield applications to this place, right? One of the things I, um, I talk about it in a lot of my talks. I'll say like, well, this is easy and, and, uh, doing continuous integration is easy and doing unit testing is easy and doing automated deployments is easy. I think a lot of that stuff is easy. Putting it all together though, <laughs> and easy is right. a relative term, but putting it all together and like making it work in an, an apartment of a hundred people and making the whole thing flow is really hard. Right. And, and painful. But, um, so under our best situations, we have, uh, we have code that gets checked in. We have automated builds. We have tests that run. 
We have automated deployments that go out to uh, what we would call our sys-test environment, or a lot of people call it like an integrations environment, where we uh, where the software uh, gets gets deployed to. And then at a certain point, we push a button and it goes to QA, and we push a button and it goes to UAT, and we push a button. Uh, well, we don't push a button to go to production. I don't because I can't push that button. Um, but what I can do is put together a release request um, with the instructions, and then the um, the operations team or the in- infrastructure team will actually do the production deployment for us. And um, the cool part about it is under our best applications, the instructions we send them went uh, recently within a year, year and a half or so from being a full page of instructions to a link, yeah. which is basically like go to Octopus Deploy and, and click this button. You know? Yeah, I, I've I've noticed that theme to for from a lot of people that I've spoken with. That seems to be a very common theme and almost like a metric of of success of how well you're doing this, right? How much how much you actually have to write down or document, and and watching that kind of shrink over time as it's just automated and, and rather than four pages of instructions, you're saying click this button or hit this URL. Yeah, yeah, because because that those that's where the problems are. Right. The problems yeah. are that list yeah. of instructions. You know, yeah. one of the things I want to talk about is why is this idea of DevOps important? Right. Why do I care about DevOps? And um, I'm a developer first. Right. I like to write code. I don't really like DevOps, quite frankly. I don't want to be doing that stuff. What I want to be doing is writing code. Right. But I can't write code when I'm busy dealing with production uh, deployment problems and when I'm dealing with uh, failures of applications and all these kind of things and all the noise that goes around writing software. So when you embrace DevOps and you embrace these practices, you write it once and you get it working. You build a process and the process just takes over. And and our process works great. I mean, we rarely have deployment problems. And then what that does is that frees me up to be the developer, to do the things I want to do. And, and write code. And, uh, you know, I start by saying I don't really like DevOps. Well, now I kind of do because the tools have really come a long way. But trying to do this in the past was, was a real struggle. You'd have to put a lot, a lot of time into it. Um, so DevOps, to me, is one of those things that, like, frees me up to do the part of the job that I really want to do, which is write software and deliver software. So I thought it was kind of interesting. You really touched on something key in the beginning about SL, uh, software development lifecycle and ALM. It sounds like the way you look at DevOps is it's more like a methodology. It's the approach of how you deliver software. When I think a lot of people think of DevOps, like if someone asked me the definition of DevOps, I would think it would be more about automation. I'm automating those manual steps I used to have to do that I didn't want to do. All right, I have to get something to QA. I have to get something to production. Or there's a problem in production now I need to get the right information. To me, originally, my concept of DevOps is I've automated from the build to the deployment where you seem to be talking more about this whole methodology. You, you, you bought into the whole, like people have bought into it. You talked about the need for people to buy into it. And I've always found that that is the real challenge. It's not, software has been around for a while to make all this work. It's a people problem. Getting people to buy into it, getting people to, to embrace it, and getting people to do what they need to do to, to make it work. Yeah, I, I, th- I think so. I, I mean, what you mentioned about the... Um, automation is, is certainly a, like a key aspect of it, right? But to me, maybe um, maybe I'm blurring the lines between what's officially written down as agile methodology and what's, what's um, you know, DevOps and things like that. But to me, 
when you consider that loop, that DevOps loop, it really gets into that methodology mindset, right? And yeah. you could say, well, if the rest of the team isn't on board, then what's the point of my having um, automation? Or if, the, or if the rest of the team isn't uh, embracing it, they're not going to let me automate the things, right? Because I don't, like I said, I don't have the keys to the production servers, right? So I can't just, you know, um, no matter how I wanted, we want to deploy applications, it's not really up to me. So we got to convince everybody. Everybody has to embrace the process, um, you know, and and things start to move fast. Um, that's one of the great things about it is it enables you to move fast. It, it enables you, maybe, maybe there's, you know, they are separate, but you can't, it's hard to do agile well mm-hmm. without something like this. Like this is sort of the, it's like an enabling methodology, like a sub methodology or something. Yeah, I, you know, well, we can come up with new phrases on the I show. Mean, the idea today. of agile is you're doing the right things at the right time. So by automating something or getting everyone to agree on a methodology, you're avoiding the time it takes to everybody stop. Let's go fix production or let's go fix the database or these or other worse, things that let's go you fix control, staging. Say. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Auto- automated deployments are. It's like the greatest thing. It, it is. It's so awesome. I um, you know, when I talk about automated deployments at user groups and stuff like that, you know, I, I like to tell a story about, um, you know, I said, well, who likes doing deployments, you know, or 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 better yet, who likes getting a phone call in the middle of the night that the deployment failed, right. or walk into the office the morning after the deployment, right. and all geared up to work on. The next, you know, let's say it's a new sprint and I'm all geared up to start writing code and, and you lose a day or a half a day or whatever, or just ruins your morning right. um, because things are down, right? Right. And yep. so, um, I, I mean, I, I hate that, right? right. And I've well, dealt I, I, with plenty of that. I've also been on teams where, you know, we, we the development team, we have a, a very strict and rigid waterfall approach where we have these phases and we've gone through you know, three, four, five weeks of QA testing and, and the QA testers and everyone else has signed off on it and said, this is good. There are no bugs. We're good. And yet um, I have conversations with the team because the team wants to come in on release day and make sure they're around. And I said, you literally, you know, we've been testing this for four months. You literally do not have access to production and can't do anything if we do find an issue. You know, by, by definition, if we find a coding issue on release day, we got to go back through the cycle. We can't just like, what were all those guarantees worth where all these sign up what were all the sign offs worth it, yeah if right. you're that afraid right, so of that's, the deployment yeah, that's, that's one aspect of it what, what, what's the worth of the uh, qa sign off if we're still afraid but you know why are you there right why are you getting called why are you involved when you just shouldn't be right and yeah. so i think that's not exactly the point that you're making very very much related though it's just oh, yeah. development teams should be focusing on development not managing stuff in production. By the time it gets into production, it should be nailed down. You know, it, it should, should be, be it should be an easy have high step. confidence. Check in the box. Yeah, yeah but yeah. how it gets yeah. to production, you know, there's but, when it gets yeah. to production, but there's how it gets to production. Yeah. And yeah. the biggest problem with deployments is us, us human beings. Like we will make a mistake one one day. If we don't make it tomorrow, it'll be the next day. And if it's not the next day, it'll be the day after that because I wrote the instructions and um, there's 25 steps involved to get this application into production and I forgot one. Or the person who was executing my instructions skipped a step or because the phone rang, right? Not because he's a he or she's a, a bad person, <laughs> right? They're good at their right. job. But the right. phone rings 
and they miss something, right? Right. Or there's a misunderstanding in the instructions. I thought it was clear what I meant, right. and and when they got it, it what they meant it, was something different. Yeah, so, interpretation. Yep. So taking that out, um, and taking that that room for error out, um, is it's really liberating, right? Once you get that thing, like I I when we have deployment, um, we we've We've had bugs after deployments, of course. Sure. But yeah. the problem, I would say, very rarely is the deployment itself, right? right? Ever since we've gone to, you know, really doing some automated stuff, I sleep well. You know, like I'm coming in the next day knowing that things are going to be okay. And um, and it's great. And I think it's – I also try to – if you talk about the whole cycle of things and let's say unit testing, if you embrace unit testing, right? To me, automated deployment is like unit testing for your – for your deployment because you've tested it, you've done it and it broke. Like the first time you did it, it didn't work right. And so yeah. you fixed it and you yeah. tweaked it and tweaked it, you know, whatever. It's not exactly unit testing, but you know what I mean? Like you've, yeah, you've proven that it works. That's what unit testing does. It proves that your code works. And so, so I, I think that that was, that was one of the big uh, reasons that, that, that that team of developers really insisted on coming in is because the problems that pr the, the most widely, uh, the, the problems that we mostly came across were misconfigurations or bad installations, sometimes bad data, but basically environmental or, or installation deployment issues. And so they felt like they needed to be on hand to basically explain, well, this application calls this data and it does this, this, and this to help troubleshoot those issues so that other teams, engineers, the folks with actual access to production had a better shot at kind of tracking that stuff down and addressing it. So how do you manage that? How do you how do you manage the the differences in the different environments as you progress through them, right? Like dev, QA or test environment and then finally production. Uh so you you mentioned, you know, unit testing of the deployment, which which is awesome. Like, you know, it's an awesome idea. And so presumably you're you're unit testing that deployment in each environment as you as you move up, right? So how do you kind of guarantee that that unit test that you're executing of your deployment is actually working as you go through the environments to to the point where you have a very high level of confidence once you get to the final environment of production. So I think that one of the first things you have to do, and it's easier said than done when you have um, large, let's say, you know, infrastructure, whether it's virtual or, or not, our, our stuff's all virtual, but but there's still virtual servers that have been around a while and I didn't have control on them when they were created. And so a lot of happened along the way, but the, the first and the best way to ensure success is to make sure that the hardware, whether it's virtual or not, you know, but, but the server is the same in QA as it is in production and yeah. all the way along because plenty of places. And, you know, we've got a couple examples say, <coughs> Oh, well, yeah, the, the, the QA server is running uh, 2008, <laughs> Uh, or, yep. you know, server or whatever, you know, yeah. and the production one is running the newest 2000, you know, 12, whatever version it, it doesn't matter. Different versions of SQL yeah. server or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And different, right. oh, we <laughs> definitely different versions of SQL server and, and all those kind of things. Right. Um, and so immediately you're, you're sort of behind the eight ball because the, the mm -hmm. likelihood that like, you don't want to have to introduce change along the way. You don't have to say, well, when we deploy to QA, we do it this way. Um, yeah. And when we deploy it, then all you're doing is testing the deployment to QA. Yeah, that's right. You're not you're testing, not the, testing the deployment <laughs> to prod. The other, 
the other thing I think I, I want to go back a step because I, I, I should have thought of this first. I think the first and most important thing to do when we're deploying an application, if that's what we're deploying, is that that application shouldn't change between environments. So um, what we do, um, and I think you know a lot of a lot of people do this, right? We didn't. I didn't invent any of this stuff, of course. You know that, right? Like, you know, <laughs> oh man, right? No, I mean, like, I you, know, you, you don't want to come up with your the world app and be like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do this because I listen to other people <laughs> tell me how to do it. Yeah, right. right. Um, but you felt the pain when it was doing wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, the best way to learn it and to understand it is to go through the problems, right? That, that, yeah, you, you learn yep. a lot through that. But Always. we we compile once, right? And then I, I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, then we go back and we do a we do a new build for production or for whatever other environment we build once. We create a DLL or whatever that is, right? And we move that from environment to environment. We never go back and change yeah. it in between environments. That's like the, you know the first thing. Then we have we try to have consistency between our environments, and we're getting there. We're pretty close behind, pretty close with that. Um, and um, and then we have a consistent deployment process where the deployment um i I also like with with a lot of these things you know i embrace single responsibility in my software development right so i want to embrace single single responsibility in some of the tooling as well right and so we use a tool well we use a couple tools i use tfs um i use octopus deploy and that's just generally the, the stuff we use so we have tfs that does our builds and it pushes it into octopus to do the deployments um, and Octopus is pretty good at, at changing configuration values. And that's about all we change from environment to environment is configuration file, right? The database connection, the, uh, the, uh, connection to some web service or something like that. That's, that's about the extent of what we change when we go from one environment to another. And that was really the question you asked is how do we, how do we keep things consistent? The way to keep it consistent is really try not to touch anything. Yep. Yeah. yeah, immutable, immutable. Artifact. Yeah, it's an artifact Absolutely. that goes from that you build, and it it ends up going all the way to production. I think that's super important. So, how also along with immutability, versioning? How how do you treat versioning? How do you handle versioning? How do you version your software, and how do you kind of what 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 do you do with that version as it progresses through the life cycle? Yeah. So we use um, first of all, it's important to say that the software we write, because again. Different prescription for different environments, right? Sure. The software that we write, the version is only important to us. Meaning we don't make as big announcement like we're releasing 2.5 right. this right. week, right? right? So I can use any a, number on that. It's not a marketing that. version. What's that? It's not a marketing version. It's not a marketing version, right? Yeah. So, so when I say the version, I can, I can do what I want with the version numbers. And that actually yeah. really is helpful. Um, so, um, so, and I lost my track. So, <laughs> so what were we talking about? <laughs> versioning. How, how do you manage versions? So, so what we do is well. So a lot of that gets into branching. I think right. Um, if you're talking about that that level of the versioning, right? How do we do our branching? Which there's a million different ways to do branching, and there's a, diff- a million different ways to do deployments. What we do is we have we use the term terminology like trunk and things like that which you could say is outdated or whatever but but we still call the trunk the base the base of our code um we tend to work in feature branches and when we're done with the feature branch we merge it into the trunk and 
it would be that trunk that we would then, when we check it in, um, would get um, compiled and tested and deployed to our sys-test environment. And then when we're ready, it would go to our QA environment. When the QA finds an issue with that, they would report that back. And we would um, usually fix it in the branch again and then merge that branch back into the trunk and things like that. Yeah. There are occasions where we will do um, branch deployments to sort of like pseudo QA environments. It gets really complicated when you want to have a lot of different uh, lines of code and, and test at the same time. We try to limit the, the, the things, the work in progress, right? We limit the yep. work in progress so we don't have to have too many streams working. It gets really confusing when you do. But we'll we'll put that into our trunk and then so it gets by the way on, on the version number thing i'm really st- stuck on the version number thing a little bit because because when we check it in what we do is um when it builds tfs assigns a build uh it gets a build number right and then what we do is we write that build number into our assemblies um, yeah, yeah. so all our assemblies get the version numbers so if you were to grab one of those assemblies it would have the same uh, number as the build would. When we push it into Octopus, we then create the same release number. Um, and then when we deploy it, you can actually see the, um, on web applications, a lot of times we'll even show the, the number in the bottom of the application. So at any time you could sort of trace that version back. And I, I find yeah. it's really helpful to do that. But, yeah. um, what gets complicated is when you're doing, so, so I said, well, we do this. It's kind of easy to set this up, I think. Like in a pure environment, okay, I got a trunk and uh, and I check it in and it goes down the stream and, and we deploy it. But where I think people stumble is when they say, okay, well, what if the trunk, you know, what if that stream of code, that line of code is, um, well, we find a production bug, but we've already gone into QA with something else, right? Because, you know, we have this continuous cycle going. And so... We end up doing, you know, what we what we call a hotfix, and so what we do is we keep a hotfix branch, right? And we keep that hotfix branch synced with what's in production, and we can we can also do um, check-ins into the hotfix branch, and we have a sort of a second stream of our automation that can move the hotfix along the way, parallel yeah. in in some places to. So, like in a QA environment, we we can have two different things running at once. Yeah. But yeah, a UAT, yeah. it, it hops back together, and yeah. it becomes one UAT. We can only UAT one thing at a time, and we we could do more than one if we wanted to make it more complicated. And then it can hop back into production, and then we merge it in. So, the tricky part, I think, is honestly, is setting up that automation so that you don't get into trouble, and and that our release numbers can sort of still work together uh, between the hotfix and the and the regular trunk. Um, It's honestly, this is the part that gets really complicated. Like I said, things are easy. It's really easy to get the first part of it done. And then you get into like real world scenarios where you're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're deploying and our release number increments, but we don't want the same kind of increment on a hotfix because that would like, it's just weird. Like, um, so we have, we, we deploy, let's say version one of the software and then we commit, uh, we're working on some changes and we, and we we're working on the changes for version two. And so version two is in QA right now and we get a hot fix. So when we do the deploy the hot fix, we don't want to deploy version three, which is the hot fix. And then version two, which is the, right. 
Like right. even though right. Right. even though right. I said our numbers are only internal, that's still just really confusing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, getting that stuff working is is kind of confusing. It it takes a little bit of thought. Yeah. Okay. We can. I think we can probably get back to that. So, but rolling back a little bit more, you had mentioned. Um, we we were talking about uh, kind of the immutable artifact and everything, and you had mentioned, I believe, configuration, right? You were saying basically environment-specific configuration, or maybe I, I read into that. But basically, my question is, how do you manage configuration, right? So if you have this immutable artifact that, that doesn't change as you go through environments, but you need to say the classic scenario is you are calling a web service and that web service has a url and you need to change that url for each environment right how do you manage different configuration in different environments there's a lot of ways to do that from the simplest and most sort of rudimentary and potentially more error prone ways to you know what you would call more modern more um more efficient ways of doing it and um, you know, I kind of, one of the, one of the points I want to make, which I think this is a good time to make that is while there's better ways to do it anyway, is better than like not doing it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, take baby yeah. steps in this stuff. And if yeah. you think the way to do that is to deploy my code and keep a copy of the config file and just be careful with it and then put it into production, you know, like that's better than recompiling your code. You know, yeah. like what's better and better and better as you go through this is to use tools to do these things for you, right? Yeah. So we use, um, I've used a couple of different ones over the years and I've got some experience with using TFS for some of the deployments, but mostly Octopus Deploy lately. And um, I'm not, I don't want to necessarily make, you know, too many plugs for them, but I will say since I've started using them, it just, it's, works really easily and, and yeah. I've been really happy with the product. So hey, plug, plug away. Maybe we can get them as a sponsor. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or no, no, this is great. <laughs> um, it's, it's a really good product and, and they make this easy because this is what they do, right? What I do is I write software, right? Yeah. So I want to rely on someone else to do this thing for me, yep, right? Yep. Which I think is always good to know like when I should ask for help, right? And so I'm asking them for help. I'm saying, Hey, you've got a tool that does this. And so, um, to give an example, right? So for people that aren't familiar with this, um, the way it works and, um, to be fair to their competitors, I think most of their competitors do this very similarly, right? Which is to say that I go into the tool and I say, um, there's a web service connection string named, um, address validation service or something yeah. like that, right? And I'm calling a third party to do that. And so I've got maybe it's a connection string or maybe it's a URL or whatever it is. I go into that tool and I say, um, here's the value I want to use for that uh, in my QA environment. And here's the value I want to use for that in my UAT environment. And here's the value I want to use for that in my production environment. Um, and, um, and then the tool knows to use that when it's time to deploy to each of the environments. Simply and put. how does it do that? Like it, it, it overwrites those settings in the files? Like it, it literally overwrites the connection string in web config? Or does it render a file that, that then you look at that configuration file and read in those settings? Or yeah, what, so, what is the mechanism? Right. So I, I don't know how all the tools do it, right? I think there's different ways of doing it. But generally what they do is 
they write the the conf, they rewrite the config file for you. Yeah, yeah. And then the config file is ready to go. And when you um, let's say in our case, I do a lot of web deployments, web development. So when I point IIS at that application, um, it's there, and it, it's its config file is right. It just yeah, it's correct. And there's moving parts there, right? You could say, well, there's still room for error, but it um, it doesn't generally fail. I mean, I'm sure it's going to fail at one point, right? Everything's going to fail, right? At some point, something's going to get messed up. Yeah. But you know, I've done uh, hundreds of deployments with these tools, right? And uh, hundreds is probably an understatement, you know. But but they, this is what they do. They do that one thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they organize it for you, and it's really pretty nice. That's the thing. When you get into these better toolings, you get a user interface to manage this stuff. Um, you get uh, tracing sort of and, and uh, logging. So if I go back and look at a deployment log from one of these tools, I can go in and say, oh, it did change this value for me. It did these things. You know, you can sort of look back and it keeps track of that, which is if if I hacked this myself and came up my own way to do it, I wouldn't have the power of all those, the tooling and the, right. the logging and the accountability and, and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you, you uh, keep your configuration files in, or configuration settings in Octopus? You kind of use the Octopus UI to de, to define those settings? Yeah, we, yeah. we do um, use their UI and there's some, but Some of that's a like, little. You're not checking in configuration settings like into source control, like the the production database password or connection string. You're not like checking that stuff into. Well, yeah, right. We don't do that because yeah. that that just breaks this even more, right? Yeah. Um, you don't want to have these things checked in. Um, by the way, if you check it in, then you run the risk of it also being used in the wrong environment and stuff like that. You want to. I think you really want to isolate these values to to where they belong. Um, the um, I think some of these systems now, and I don't, I don't want to speak um, incorrectly, but I think there are some of them, including Octopus, are, there's features where they um, there's some sort of uh, accountability, like like you can I don't want to say this, you can uh, keep track of these changes and stuff like that, so you can like, like sort auditing. of roll back even yeah. your change. Like it's almost like a commit. Like you know, we're used to source control for our code. And I think they're starting to treat these systems as like um, batches of changes that you sort of save. And I can say, oh, how did I? How has that changed over over time and things like that? So it's not just the current value, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so if you're using, you know, like you said, you're using uh, Octopus to kind of store the configuration for the environments. So, what's the development experience like? I'm the developer now, and I want to work on something. So this is kind of a two-part question. I want to work on something. Do I have to, after I get the code down, do I have to do a lot of setup just to get it running locally? Or, and the second part of the question is, do you have to architect your software or is it better to architect your software in a certain manner so that it's DevOps ready? You know, if you got this big enchilada kind of project where everything's got to work, that's hard. That's hard to automate anyway. You're already kind of in trouble. Yeah, I think you know you have two good, two good points. The second one, um, I'm going to talk about, and then I'm going to forget what the first one was because that's the way my brain works. But, but right. the I'll second, ask again. The second one, um, in particular, um, this is where I was talking about it. This kind of goes back to the point about it being um, 
like a uh, a methodology or and that the team has to embrace it because you're totally right. You have to think about this stuff from the beginning to develop your it helps if you develop your code in a like so devops friendly way, right? Um I think it, I think that is a a good way to do it. Now, you were also asking, oh, I remember you were asking about the um the development uh way of you know like what happens when I just get code from from source control, right? New machine, right. I get how code. much work? How much work do I have to do to get to to go to work? Right. So it should be none because the values we check in are the development values, right? The and we okay. try to keep our machines consistent. So we run local versions of SQL Server on our machine, so that we All should right. have the same, um, you know, and the database name should be the same. Like you don't want to have one developer with one name of a database and another person, you know. Yeah, yeah, you have to have some enforcement of consistency and things like that. Um, so let's just say I have a, um, you know, a lot of times we write apps that send mail messages for whatever reason, right? And often a lot of times what we use in development is we'll use like a drop folder where the mail gets dropped in a folder, right? So if I keep my, my drop folder at like C slash email drop, then you have to have C slash email drop because if you want to change it to be D slash email drop and you check that in, then it's not going to work for me, right? So keeping that stuff consistent. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, – I should be able to check out code from source control or get, you know, whether you're calling it checkout yeah. or not. I should be able to get it on my machine and run it. You're an F5 ability kind of guy. like it, yeah. You should be, right? We talk about – we've said that on this show. That's before. a cool way of putting it. I, I like that. Yeah. That's Chris's. You can yeah. use it. So, five um, ability. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not the worst. Like when you're, when you're, uh, you know, someone's got a problem, there's a problem with some code and no one's around. So you say, oh, I'll get that, you know. Nobody you, can build it. And then you're like, oh, and then of course there's a problem. So someone's looking over your shoulder and you yeah, feel like right. a moron because you're like, yeah. uh, uh, I, no, I you can't You totally want to get the code down and hit F5. But that's a pretty .NET thing. Like if we said that on a Node show, they'd be like, what are you talking about? So... <laughs> Um, so we talked well. a little bit about, um, about, we've talked a lot about automation as a part of DevOps. And I think it's a, a big part because for me, the way I, if I have to take a step back, it's about the development team taking more ownership in how the code gets deployed than maybe we, we, we used to. Um, it wasn't, you know, I can think of some past lives where once the code was built, we were we just said okay cool in fact we might even have someone called a build engineer whose job mm. was to actually produce bits and that person would then deliver those bits to operations people who would then kill themselves to get it onto machines that were totally different from what you were working on and it's like we're taking more ownership saying we're not trying to control but take ownership in that we're going to be part of this process because we're going to we're going to understand it so well that we automate it Instead of just writing some stuff down and saying, "Hey guys, have a good time. Just don't call me this Saturday when you, when you, uh, when you deploy it," and uh, and I think that that's where a lot of organizations start because automation is it's the obvious one. It's let's let's have a more repeatable process, something we can rely on because we are automating this every step of the way from development to staging, and then maybe I think a lot of orgs don't take this step honestly, but maybe even into prod. And it sounds like you're trying to get there where, where your prod worksheet was shrinking from a page to even a link. Well, the link is the link to Octopus, right? So we are yeah. automated. It's just that I need to tell them to push the button, right? Right. Um, in our best cases, we are fully automated into production, right? And um, 
you know, um, it is, um, it is different than it used to be. Now, to be fair to, to that scenario, you, you know, you mentioned, which is that, you know, um, what you call it, like the build manager or whatever, whatever yeah, that role was. Yeah. I've thought of past lives where a build it, you know, the developers basically said, yeah, yeah, we think we're good. That, that was that was the sign off. Yeah, like, hey, let's, go get the, let's go get the build guy to build some bits. Yeah, yeah. and so we're all laughing because we probably remember working. those days, right? Well, some places still need that build manager. I think to be sure. fair, um, especially when you're writing like uh, applications where like different teams build like write parts of the application or something like that. There's still that like person that somehow like puts them together and and organizes that stuff. But yeah, we we do take ownership of of the deployment process as developers, right? Because we know how our application is going to run. Um, generally, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to speak disparagingly about anyone, but the guys that run the servers don't always, don't really know how an application works necessarily, especially when we're dealing with, like our job is to stay up with the newest technology for let's say ASP.NET or, or whatever it is. And, you know, whether I'm using, uh, um, you know, .NET Core or whatever, but but these guys, their job is to understand server technology, right? Yeah, and it's 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 a simple patching. <laughs> What's that? How to patch? Or this. just how to, how to solve problems? Yeah, right. Like sometimes they get good at just reading the tea leaves in our logs. Yeah, and and some and I mean this is it's sad when this happens, and I I take it as failure now when when but it happens a lot where they've learned to read. That the tea leaves in the log, I know it says blah, 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 but what it really means is we <laughs> ran out of file space on a certain SAN. Yeah. And they figured that out, and they haven't even told R&D or dev or whatever you call your group that you figured it out. And that's, to me, okay, you don't have DevOps then because you're not coming back on the monitoring side and the measurement side. And uh, and I think a lot of orgs don't get there because the automation is the first step. It's the first piece to do. Now you got to figure out the back end, which is when things go wrong, how does that get exposed to the whole org in a responsible way so that everyone sees it? Even developers can take ownership and say, whoa, that bad thing that happened this weekend, we should not only make sure that never happens again, we got to correct that error message because nobody knew what it meant. So how do you deal with that, Andy? I mean, what is your approach for instrumentation and logging? Like how do you how do you yeah. make meaningful and, and this goes along with a question. This this will probably make you all happy. Is this goes along with a question I got from Anthony in the chat, who who basically asked, you know, like, do you get a stack trace for errors that happen in prod? And I felt like, well, that kind of let's let's bring all that together and talk about the monitoring and measurement and how does engineering respond to problems? You know, how do you make that? How does when is that DevOps and when is it? No, we're not at we're not at the DevOps stage yet on the uh, monitoring, measurement, exception handling, stuff like that. Yeah. So what we do is, and this is a place where we um, have room for growth, right? Um, you know, you're never done with any of this stuff, right? You're, you're always striving to get better and better and, and take steps yeah, into this into this process, right? So, you know, if anyone's listening and says, oh my God, you know, I'm so far out, like, no, just get started and, you know, take a piece of this and, and do something and, you know, keep improving. Um, we do uh, central logging to like a central database from production applications. You, you know, at the very root, you have, I mean, at, at the core of things, you have to do uh, logging of exceptions and things like that. Now, there are times when um, you're asking, you know, like, do I get like a, a, a dump from like the operations team? There are times when my log, for some reason, isn't 
getting the error, you know, like something failed, maybe the logging failed or something like that, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so again, I don't have access to the production machine. So then I have to go and get one of the operations, uh, infrastructure guys to sit down and say, Hey, can you log on this machine? Let's take a look at the event viewer or something like that, or the IIS log or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and we work together on those problems. Um, but it's generally, um, our, our problem, like I don't, there shouldn't be problems in production that are like not the developer's fault. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, yeah. I mean, yes, a machine can run out of memory or something. Right. There's they, environmental problems. Yeah. There's environmental problems, controls. but yeah. those guys, it should be pretty, um, they should be able to diagnose those things pretty well. And hopefully they yeah, have good monitoring right. on right. that kind of stuff. And, right. um, I will say that, um, there was a time and, and there's probably still some smaller teams at my organization that will rely on the, like the infrastructure team and say, well, my app's not working. Like, why isn't it working? And they're like, oh, what do we know? Like, we didn't write the, we don't write the code. We don't know how, you know? Um, so we work together on these things, but the, I think the problem should be ours. And yeah, so we do like, um, logging from all the environments. Uh, so we have, you know, uh, all our errors go into a common logging place and then we can analyze those errors and, and look, um, look back at that when there's a problem. The place where I would honestly say we have room for improvement is the proactive part of it, right? How many operations, how many organizations? I don't know if you guys are doing this. So I, I was, I really like to hear if you guys are doing similar things to what we're doing, but how many organizations are looking at those error logs preemptively saying, well, no one reported a problem, mm-hmm. but there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's, it's hard to do when you have, unfortunately, we have certain legacy applications that, um, log more things than you would like them to log. Not, not like they throw a lot of exceptions, right? Sure, but they're sure, exceptions yeah. that don't necessarily affect the application <laughs> right. running, right? You ignore them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. that's such a, that's such a bad pattern. Because yeah. now your error log isn't really a valid log. What you really want to get down to the point is when one error hits that log, we got a problem. Yeah. And now it's easy so, to monitor the logs. That, so that is one of my guidelines that I have for my teams. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to hear about any kind of rules or practices or guidelines that you have. But I have two guidelines. One of them is that exactly, right? We have we, in, in all logging frameworks, all modern logging frameworks now, we have the ability to kind of classify a log at a certain error level. So anything that you say is an error, meaning an actual application error, not a user error, but an application error, uh, assume that you're getting a phone call or a text, right? And, and so you you don't come in one day and the, the, the error log is flooded with uh, logs and, and you're just now figuring it out. You knew because your phone was getting flooded with text, right? So anything under that, you know, if it's just something that you want to log or a quote, a user error, like a data error, you know, a data condition that you just kind of want to log for kind of posterity's sake for maybe troubleshooting or something, but your code didn't fail, you know, versus diagnostics or whatever. Um, just be very mindful of that. The other one that I have is, and it's, it's practically impossible. I say it almost as a joke, but I am serious when you are developing the code, write the log message to include the information that you need when you are troubleshooting something that goes wrong with this code in production. 
right. which is impossible because you can never know what is actually going to happen in production that you're going to be troubleshooting. But it, it's I, I so much see when developers write logs, it's as, it's more like writing debug statements. You know, when we had to write write stuff without debuggers in the past, where if I got to line one hundred, then this condition must be yeah, true. Next step, next yeah, step. yeah, or the the value at at line one hundred is this, and yeah. then the value at line one ten is this. Open and database. Database it, responded. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's Call not step. really, you know, maybe that's helpful, but that's not really helpful. It is when you're looking, when the ops person in particular, or the, you know, developer looking at the logs, you're looking at this and you're seeing, um, you know, uh, what, what, what was happening at the time? What was the state of the application at the time? That's what you want. What was the failed? state of the application? Right? What was I trying to do? Yeah. yeah. So do you have any, uh, you know, any practices, any guidelines or any, any technical approaches or tools or anything that you use in that area to kind of help with that? No, in a word, honestly, um, <laughs> I, you know, um, we're all working on stuff, right? So I'm, I, I could use help in that area. One of the things, I mean, we certainly there's some, things that you can log that are easier than others. You know, what is the, uh, the ID of the, whatever it was you were working on at the time, whatever the, the widget was that, you know, was getting processed, you know, to keep track of what it was and, and try to log that. And so you can get to a little bit more information and, and, and some information about the state of the application. But um, the one thing I've learned to do though, is to, is to, um, Try to never have what is it? I uh, argument uh, object not set object reference not null, set. Yeah. Null reference, null reference. Right. Yeah, yeah. The null re- to to me that's the show one on of that. the hardest things to to diagnose. Yeah. Right? You're like what? Um, so I try to make sure that uh, a method. And now we're getting into a little bit more programming than we are, you know, in yeah. like the actual tooling or something like that. But um, I try to like handle those with like those argument exceptions and like check all my arguments to make sure that that's not going to happen because I yeah. just find that just ends up it's worthless. What's that? Yeah. It's worthless. It doesn't yeah. tell you anything. Yeah. It's totally, you worthless. have a problem in production, but you don't have any th- right information to deal with. Right. Yep. But yeah. um, you know, there's also the part of monitoring that, that and listen, I'm going to, I'm going to throw these product names out there without having used them, but things like you know this like what hockey app and application insights and those things are for is is to say oh this is how much load the server's taking and how long requests are being served on average and that's supposed to help you make decisions like should we scale up and and that that's like the back end of of devops the measurement side that i think is hard to get to because you're not that part that part's important but it's not producing new features for the business. So you don't necessarily get business support to measure yep. because they say measure what everything's yep. working fine. Right. Yep. Well, do we know? Yep. <laughs> yes. how, how do we really know how bad the experience is for our users? Yep. Well, so in, in um, ideally, right. And, and that, that's a place where app insights is pretty cool. Right. And so from the, from my knowledge of it i'm impressed like it's really cool there's a lot of information in there and it's good so i did want to touch upon what you said about how there's you're not getting like business value out of that stuff but you are right so what we need to do is we need to convince our companies to embrace this whole process and right and what those what embracing that does is it says to them well yeah it's not a feature but there's a feature you want right you want that new search feature in the application right? I'm not going to get to it 
because I'm too busy working on problems. Yeah. Right? And so the whole idea, this is where it becomes that whole, it's bigger than that. And it's this methodology uh, is the DevOps is that by embracing that, um, that let's say uh, all that information, app insights and hockey, and by, by analyzing that and utilizing that, you keep that cycle moving fast, right? Yeah. Because you're, yeah. you're solving the problems before they're big or you're solving the problems quickly. And, uh, and then you're able to move on to that next great feature that they want. Yeah. That's kind of a difficult conversation to have though, right? That's almost admitting that you wrote bad code. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's probably a whole other show, right? We could probably get into a whole other hour. We can hour get into the whole idea of a though. car, right? A car sooner or later is going to break down. Yeah. Right? It's going to need an oil change. Yeah. I'm, Software is the same thing. It's going maintained. to need maintenance. It's going to need, it's just part of the process. Well, I'm, I'm, or even just that you made a choice. When you built the app, you made a choice that you thought was the most performant or whatever, and then you users don't use it that way. Whoops. You know, it really wasn't the right choice. And measurement told us, hey, we should really scale up this service. We need more of them or something. Well, I mean, I know, I, I know I'm, easy, I know I'm, it's really changes. abstract, right? Because I'm just sort of making it up. We don't have a concrete example, but, but that's the purpose of it is, is to help you say, it's not because you're bad. It's not because, oh, we wrote terrible code. It's that, no, we made what we thought were the best choices. Sure. And we're finding out that real world usage isn't necessarily going the way we thought. But I'm, I, I, that is, I guess that is a very legitimate conversation that you can have with the business folks. But I, I am, I'm talking about having this conversation with the business folks saying, look, saying exactly what Andy just said, right? Look, look, I because I completely agree with what Andy just said. Like that is what you have to say. You go to the business and say, look, I can't deliver what you want because I'm too busy fixing all these problems that keep deriving because of the whether or not you actually say it because of the way the application is built right now. Right? Yeah, right. So I need time. I need to spend your money to go and change the application, and you're not going to see any immediate value out of that. In fact, in the in the immediate term, you're actually going to be waiting for for value right i'm going to be pausing delivering you direct value it's just a difficult conversation to have i'm i'm not I'm not saying it's wrong i'm completely agreeing with you andy it's just it's a difficult conversation to have right and so of course it differs as to where you work and what your situation is yeah. um the type of organization you're at um has you know has a lot of influence on um how you how you can have these conversations, but in a totally unrelated uh, you know topic, but but similar. I was talking to one of my uh, one of people on one of my teams this week, and they were worried about um, someone bringing up an issue in like a in a scrum setting, and someone brought up an issue, and they said, "Well, the business was in there because the business is part of the the team, right? And the business was in there, and they heard about a problem we had in in the IT department, and and we shouldn't let that happen." I said, you know, yeah. we got to be more confident. We yeah, have to yeah. be able to let, like, I and and it's the same thing that applies in the in the, th in the thing you were saying. Now, I don't want to walk into the CEO's office and tell her I wrote bad code, right? But, yeah. but in general, I have to be able to be comfortable enough that I do a good job. Yeah. And not every piece of code I write is perfect, and I have to be able to go to them and say, "Hey, there's a problem in this code, and I need to fix it." Um, yeah. Now, there's a time and a place, right? You can't do that all the time. You got to sort of pick yeah. and choose your battles. But I just think it's, I think that um, it's, you know, it's easy to say, I work at a place where I'm fortunate enough to be pretty well respected. You know, um, the people I work for 
I like them and they like me and, and all that. Not everybody has that scenario, right? But, but, um, you know, if you can't, if you can't go to your boss's, uh, you know, I'm throwing this out as a, as a theory here, but, you know, if you can't go to your boss's office and tell them you made a mistake, maybe you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong place. And if you're fortunate enough and you can look for something, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a, a smell, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, we don't, we don't need to linger on it. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. it's, it's a tough conversation. Not, not saying, telling anyone that you made a mistake, right? right. Not saying that you can't do it or that they're going to freak out. It's just, it requires a lot of, as you said, confidence. Well, the other idea, you know, is to blame it on the guy before you, right? Which is oh yeah, no, right. That's much. <laughs> I do that a yes. lot. You know. I do that all the time. Oh yeah, Absolutely. we all do yeah. that. The yeah. guy Joe who left. Oh yeah, he made that decision. God, this guy was a total disaster. <laughs> so speaking of confidence. Are you still afraid of production? Are you are you confident when you go to production? Or are you still afraid of going to production, even with all this stuff in place? Well, uh, some aspects I am, and some aspects I'm not. Right? I'm confident. <laughs> I am really confident in our deployment process. Yeah. Right? We've worked really hard on that, and I'm really confident in that. I'm not as confident in our, quite frankly, right, on our ability to, to test a million scenarios. We don't have enough test automation in, in our organization. A lot of places, right? We're all working. We're all getting better, right? And so we have a lot of it, but um, we write complex software and complex products, right? And I think a lot of people do that. And so it's hard to know that the software holds up under all the different scenarios. Yeah. And what scares me, that that's the stuff that scares me. And how many yeah. times have you had someone do something on the first day after you deploy and you're like, they tried that. And I look through the, you know, let's say I look through the historical, the database and I say, no one's done that in like 15 years or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And the day I deployed, someone did that thing again. And I'm like, yeah, and it didn't, and it didn't work. Right. I like so, to say there's a, there's a saying, uh, you know, no, no plan survives contact with the enemy. I like to say yes. no code base survives contact with the user. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so hard to know what a user's going to, what a user's going to do. So, yeah. but. What do I have confidence in though? I have confidence in our, in a lot of our process. I have confidence in our deployment and I have confidence in the methodology, if you will, and the process we have in place that we can fix that problem quickly. Yeah. Right. And so not to say, I'm never trying to say that it's okay to ship a bad product. Right. Yeah. But you have to have the confidence that when it does happen and it will, that we, we will not it will not be a disaster. Like we can recover from this quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, in, in no time at all. Right. Um, and I think that's an important part, right? That's part of your safety net is like this thing that you build up. So you can be more confident. Um, I am very confident in our deployment process though. I'm really happy to Good. say that. Um, so it real quickly, like, like lightning round question, um, roll forward or roll back, roll forward. Yeah. Database uh, gets you into trouble every time. If yeah. you don't have any database changes, um, roll back. But you know what? A user already entered some data in that doesn't work under the old scenario. Um, roll forward. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, Chris, Todd, you got anything else? I have one, lightning one question? last closing, I like these lightning questions. Question. <laughs> oh, I, I have a quick lightning question. Hopefully it's a quick question. So we talked a little bit about you have this great automated process and you're pretty happy with it. How do you deal with certain things that maybe you were talking a little bit before about a service? You have a certain service; it only updates once a year. 
do you have like things like that automated too, or is that still some of the areas where mm. the last mile? Oh yeah, right. The whole idea of we, you're focusing on the eighty percent, but there's like these three services over here that they just never gonna get automated. So yeah, uh, it's it's worse than that or bigger than that. The problem is bigger than that. We have applications that we work on somewhat often that still aren't in the process yet. It takes a while when you have a large portfolio to get yeah. there. Um, what we try to do is, of course, focus on um, the the most vulnerable things first, the most active things. But um, we have uh, we have a way to go, and we have different teams that are different stages in this. So my team, I think, is doing a pretty good job. We're moving everything new gets that way. We try to say if you're changing the app. It's time to fix the the process around it, mm-hmm. you know, or at least improve the process. Yeah, but um, the, iter- the whole iter- but agile way of thinking. Um, but but we but we're not there yet. And if if we have time, if we have a couple minutes, that that really brings up a story that I want want to tell. If yeah, that's okay, please. Yep. So the best time to do this stuff, meaning to put this automation in place, is now, right? Not tomorrow, yeah. right? So the story I, I tell in a lot of presentations, and, and you guys maybe have heard me tell the story before, but I always say, you know, we always start out with good intentions. You know, I'm really excited. I've been reading all about this uh, automated deployment, continuous integration. This is really good stuff. I think we're gonna we're gonna do this now in my or you know my in my team. And so they they just asked us to write a new application. So I think this is gonna be the one we're gonna do automation. So you say, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna build the start building the app, and I start building the app. And, um, I say, you know what? I, I want to do the automation, but, you know, I'm really excited and the business kind of want to see a couple of previews of what this thing can do, right? And just, you know, locally, or of course, not deployed to production, but little stuff. So, all right, I'll show it to them and I'm just going to do the couple features. And then they say, you know, hey, can you do a couple more or there's a problem with it? And, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to do the automation. No, it's coming. Like, I'm not <laughs> yeah. going live, but we got to have this automation. In. It's on the backlog. It's, do you automation. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great one. It's in the backlog. I taught exactly, right? So, so we say we're going to do that. And then what happens is we're getting closer and closer to the date. And I say, listen, I got it, guys. Don't worry about it. Because we have locked our features in and we've got a week before we go to production. And that we're going to, that's our last ditch, but we are not going live in production. We're going to build the automation. Now, first of all, I've already deployed to, let's say, QA or to these other environments like 50 right. times right. manually. And spent right. so much time doing that, right? But okay, so here I come. I'm up in the final stretch. And I got it. I'm about to do this automation stuff. It's going to be great. And someone comes in and says, you know what? Everything's great in UAT. The users love it, but we forgot this. Like this one more feature. And can you can you get that in? And you're like, oh, I had this time set aside. I'm going to do my automation. I'm going to build my release process. But all right, you know what? It's the first time we're going to production, and that's actually kind of like the easiest one because I'm not really changing things. We're just deploying it for the first time. Yeah, so, it's a new So what we're going to do is we're going to deploy to production manually this time. But tomorrow or, you know, the next day, we're not doing any new features. We're going to build our automation process. And so we do that, right? And, of course, it goes smoothly. And, of course, the next day, though, there's a bug, right? Not with the deployment, but with just the software. It's not working. And now I'm, like, working on bug fixes. And then – we get done with those bugs and we're like, well, we already promised them this new feature in, in sprint, you know, two or whatever. So, uh-huh. uh, you know what I'm going to do? I will do the deployment next week. 
Uh-huh. Right. And so you know how the <laughs> story time. ends. Right. Course, right. Because right. yeah. you talk yes. to your boss <laughs> right. and he says, OK, so the code's fully tested. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. You're, you're, you're completely done coding. Uh huh. But we're not going to production yet. You're going to need another week to go into production. Yep. Why? Yeah. And so he says, ship it. Automated deployment? Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Just ship it. And so, and so this process, this, this mistake goes on for months. Yeah. Because you just don't get to it. And so. What about priorities, right? I mean, right. But the best time to do it is day one. Because the truth is no one's watching. Right. No yeah, one right. cares if you take like another day or two to like set this stuff up, you know? Right. Well, and you said it, right? You spent so much time manually deploying in that whole time. If you had just done it up front, presumably it would have saved you time in the long run. Right. 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 Those 50 times I deployed for the, for the testers to see it and my manual deploy, I kept screwing it up anyway, because I was yeah. doing it manually. Right. And of course, so mm-hmm. lost time. It's just, so, you're, you're, so what I said, invested now, you'll save yourself. So time. on day one, you know, what do you, what do you say? The first thing you do when you create an application, check it in, right? Yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. The next thing you do, like set up this automate. It's also easier to set it up yeah. when the application's simple. Small. Yeah. Because, right. because there is no complexity. Right. And so yeah. how many configuration values do I need right. to add into that tool? One. Right. Right. But later, if I have to do, I'm going to have to put 50 configuration values. It's just easier to do them like, you know, along the way and stuff like that. Yeah. So, well, plus yeah. as you're building this new project, you're thinking, Every step of the way from day one, you're thinking, okay, now I got to automate this part of the deployment. Yeah. You said it before, right? You got to think like DevOps first, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, that's what you said. Like, do you want to do that? And yeah, right? So if you do that right off the bat, you're really like sort of forcing your own hand to make sure that you're building it sort of like DevOps ready. And so, you know, if that's that, I think this one of the takeaways to me is like the most important part of any of this stuff is yeah. do it now and the other one is do something like meaning yeah. it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be better than what you did yesterday. You know, like try so something new. That, that, that is, that is basically the theme of this podcast, right? Is we, we our, our kind of tagline. Our motto is, you know, we're real world developers. We're not podcasters for a living. We have day jobs and we go and we do this stuff in the real world. And so what we try to bring into every show is what can people start doing tomorrow? You know, even if it's like something little, what is that one thing that they can take 20 minutes or an hour to do tomorrow that they don't have to get buy-in from their boss and their boss's boss and, you know, change their whole company tomorrow. But like you say, the best time to do this is now and get started right now. What can people take back to work with them and start doing tomorrow? Like, let's say I'm in a, like a total waterfall environment with lots of manual build and deployment steps. Like, what do I focus on first? And like, how do I learn to do what you've done? And just like, where do I start? That's a hard question. Where do you start? There's so many things, you know, we, we, we touched upon a lot about deployments, but there's, there's so much more to this, right? We talked about, I think a good place to start. Well, first of all, if you don't have source control, start there. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. you got to have source control, right? Um, yeah. And then I think the next thing to do is sort of like work down the the pipeline, which I would think is continuous integration, right? Build your software off. Don't build on your machine. I mean, obviously when you're compiled or run it or something, you're you're building on your machine, but, but get it off your machine, get it in in an independent environment, get continuous integration, get something that says someone checked in code and broke the build and, and don't let that happen, right? Start there. That's, not too hard a thing to do, especially, 
And it depends on your environment. If you've got, let's say, if you're using TFS, for example, which has like a lot of features built into it, you can get continuous integration in minutes. It's yeah. easy to do and there's no cost. Like one of the things you, you said is, you know, you got to get buy-in like to go and install, let's say, uh, um, you know, a tool, let's say it's Octopus or whatever it is. I need yeah. the infrastructure team support. I yep. need like a lot. Like I can't yep. just yep. do it on my own. Yep. But, um, but there are certainly some free tools that you can use as well to do that. But I, I think in a lot of, um, a lot of .NET shops, TFS is, is popular. If you're uh, using TFS for source control, it, you've got TFS build. Yeah. I'm not saying that you should use necessarily TFS build. I'm not saying that's the yeah. best build tool. I happen to use it, right? But yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah. is if you've already got it in the door. Right. Right. Just well, it's put, also not that simple because it does need infrastructure. You do need build controllers and agents and all that stuff. Too, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You've well, got the licenses is what I meant. Yeah, we yeah, you can get away with one build controller can do a lot. Yes. Honestly. Yes. Um yeah. and so you can get that one for, I guess the first one is free. Yeah. Uh although I'm not an expert on licensing yeah. or anything. Yeah, know, let's stay away from but that. But I, I think it's <laughs> I think the first one is free. And like I said, if you've already got that in the door, it's a pretty easy next step. Yeah. Um, if you're not using that, then you can get some, some free tools, but yeah, you got to run some of these things up the, up the pipeline because some organizations don't want you even using free tools or, you know, licensing yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah. But I think continuous yeah. integration is a really good place to start. Yeah. Cool. So, and, and so how about um, actually getting into production, getting, getting the deployments automated? What about in that, that space? You know, you know Are there any kind of quick wins or, or areas to focus on before, like things that really tripped you up in the beginning or. Well, before um, I used Octopus, I had a sort of rolled my own, which is to say I wrote like batch scripts, essentially, yeah. that did this. And that's a fairly easy way to get started. Yeah. Um, so you would say that's not a waste? That's actually a good way to well, get started simply? If 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 the company is uh, on board and everybody says, yeah, what do you want to do? You want to spend a couple of grand to get a tool? Like I say, get the tool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if... If there's pushback on that, or if there's some delay where they say, well, we're going to do it next year or something like that, then I say, no, what baby step can you take? Automate it yourself. Write a batch script that takes that same application and can install it from one application, from one environment to the next, where now you're giving that infrastructure team, again, you're back to that one instruction, run this batch file. You know, like take as much of the try to rule out any place where there's error, right? Yeah. You know, the next, you know, that's, that's actually a really good thing is, you know, as you say, well, where to start? Well, what problem do you have? Don't solve problems you don't have, right? What's the problem that in your environment you have? So if if you spend a lot of time dealing with the fact that every time you do a deployment, um, half the application is missing, then focus on that. And maybe a batch file would be a good way yeah. to do it where they, they can't mess yeah. that up. If you yeah, go yeah. to, if you go to an environment where, Every time you deploy, the old, the development config values end up in production. You've yeah. got a sort of a different problem, right? So yeah. try to focus on like what would save me time, right? And that's going to be different for everybody. Right. Be selfish about it. Be, be lazy and selfish. Well, yeah. qualities of a good developer. Yeah. That's why I yeah. said, that's why I like DevOps because I'm lazy. I don't want to deal yeah. with these problems. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, you could call that efficient, but I'm calling myself lazy. I don't want to deal with problems. <laughs> So I think developers, um, we talked a lot about, you can. about code uh, being part of DevOps, like the application. What advice might you have for 
the DevOps of your data, your database, and I, and I mean both directions, not just schema changes. How do you get those into staging and prod? But I think a lot of developers deal with the, we have a problem and I need a snapshot from staging or you know, let's just admit it, a snapshot from production. And how does that fit in with DevOps, rolling that forward, getting that back? Maybe you're not dealing with these exact issues either, but I think a lot of developers do. I am dealing with those issues. I think you're right. It is an important part of the whole. It is all part of the process, right? Um, and again, every scenario and every organization has different problems that they have to solve and different ways of looking at this. But um, we remember I said not of all our applications are at the place we want them to be in this in this whole process, right? But the ones that we have flowing really well, which is most of uh, my team's. Um, the bigger applications that we work on are automated and we have automated database deployment, right? Now, again, it's easy to talk about deploying applications, I think. I think there's easy ways to do it. It's not always simple, but there's, but when you get into the database world, it's a whole different story. Database deployments, um, they kind of suck, I think, like keeping them synchronized and things like yeah. that. That's where the problems are. That's where the rollback is just never a good scenario, you know? Um, and so we've used a couple of different processes to, to keep the database environment synchronized. Um, we've used the, the idea of like a data project or a DAC pack, which I think is a really great way to do it. Um, we currently use, uh, scripts that we write ourselves and we have a process that runs the scripts in each environment, but we don't manually execute them, right? That's all built into the process. Um, so it's pretty easy for us to, to get an environment forward to the place we want to go, but it's really hard to get an environment to go back. Right. Um, and that's often a problem. One place where we run into that is like I said earlier, like, so we're in, we're, let's say testing at, uh, version two, but we have a bug in version one. And we want to get that version one back into the test environment. And that test environment's database has already been modified. Like that's complicated, right? Um, the uh, This is the part where I think, you know, it just sounds really easy. And in the real world, this stuff is really hard, yeah. really hard. Um, one of the things we do have a problem, uh, we run into the exact problems you talked about, Chris, like... Um, trying to diagnose a production problem without the production data, right? Because we just can't reproduce the situation. And we're trying to think of ways to, to do that. Right. And so this is where you go back to um, what you said, design for DevOps, right? How do you, you got to think about these problems when you're building the software. I'm writing software. So what's going to happen when there's a production problem? How am I going to resolve it? And often, you can make a decision at the time that says, okay, uh, I'm going to build my data model or I'm going to build my application in such a way that is going to enable me to fix these things, right? So one of the things we're, we're talking about changing is we have certain um, certain application, one application in particular that when it saves its data, and I'm not getting into the specifics, but when it saves its data, its, its thing, Let's just say it was a car. Let's say I'm saving information about a car and I write to the body table and the chassis table and the wheel table 
and all these different things, right? These are all just pieces of the car. But in my case, these aren't really reusable pieces, right? These are only pieces that are only important to the car, right? To my car. And so we're leaning towards uh, like more of a document database kind of strategy, right? Because that enables me to just take that, that car. It's just one thing in the database, right? And just be able to export that, import that into my other database, as long as there's no proprietary information or, you know, like uh, secure data or something like that. So, but, but that's like a strategy decision that you got to make up front. Right. And, um, the point, uh, the point isn't really, or the solution isn't exactly that. That's not the, that's a solution, but the solution is going back to your point about thinking about DevOps and thinking about problem solving when you're writing software, right? Like Jess, Jess mentioned earlier, like when you're logging, can you log information that's going to actually be helpful, right? You have to think about the problem that might occur, right? And of course, we're not clairvoyant. Um, if we were, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have bugs in the code in the first place, I guess, right? Um, but you have to, this is where we need to get smarter. This is the like sort of modern software architectures architect's job i think is to think about like how how can i build this better yeah to prevent these problems in the future right not that we're not going to have bugs but writing an application things are going to break um be be proactive yeah being proactive get the information yeah awesome so any other closing thoughts is there any anything that you wish you knew when you you had started down this road or just any other High level observations or any funny stories? <laughs> um, plenty of uh, you know, long nights and and stuff figuring it out. I would say <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's some funny stories, but um, but you know, in spite of the fact that I keep saying, "Well, this is easy," and 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 that's easy and stuff like that, it's going to take you a while to do something the first time. And so don't get frustrated when it just doesn't work because, you know, you set up this automation and it works. And then the second time it doesn't work in the next environment because the permissions weren't right. And, you know, oh, I thought I could do this on that machine or, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be painstaking. Um, it can be painstaking, but it will be worth it. Right. Um, Suffer through a little bit of some of that stuff uh, because you'll really be happy in the end, I think, is, is what it is. Like, it's it, – it's, don't get down on yourself. Like, you know, parts of it are easy, but putting the puzzle together is complex. And but, – but try. Just, you know, pick a piece and do it. And um, I'll tell you, you know, here's a good piece of advice, um, which I would say I've probably done wrong. Uh, from experience, you can't allow one person on the team to understand this this aspect of the thing, right? So it's pretty often that a, a software architect, um, and I'm not talking about, let's just say a software architect, not me, but a software <laughs> architect figures this all out, right? And then says, "Hey guys, we've got we've got DevOps, you know, we've got automation, we've got whatever we're calling it, you know," um, and then it's in place, but the other people on the team don't understand it. It's black and, magic. Yeah. And, or they understand it. Uh, so here, here's the thing. So you say, well, I'm going to show them, 
I'm going to give them that one hour. Like we're going to go into one of the conference rooms. I'm going to give you the hour long talk and show you how the thing works. But they didn't set it up, right? They didn't live through the problems you had. And so they're really not going to know how to fix it. And so I think good advice that, um, you know, I could, I could follow because I, you know, is to do this as a group. Now, again, hard to do, right? Because you're working on software at the same time. Yeah. yeah. But don't, don't let that knowledge belong to one person because, uh, the other problem is you're going to end up owning it and you <laughs> probably don't want to own it because yeah. you're the one that then gets the call every time. Like I am at work. I am the, the TFS guy. I am the octopus guy because yeah. I set it up and I know more about it. Um, so try to encourage everyone to get involved and um, and solve the problems. I will say that this is a place where I, I do try to push back. People say, well, this isn't working. How, how do I fix it? I say, Google it. Yeah. You know, like it's out there. They, they, a lot of these things have great documentation. People have been through these problems. Like don't just ask me every time because yeah. you're just yeah. not going to learn it right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. Awesome. And with that – uh, you listener, what is your definition of dev- uh, DevOps? Uh, how do you manage and deploy your applications? We'd love to know. Uh, please leave a comment on the website, staticvoidpodcast.com, or send an email to comments at staticvoidpodcast.com. And as always, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please feel free to let us know through those same channels. Uh, we want to make sure that we're talking about the things that you actually want to hear about. Uh, Todd and Chris, thanks for the chat. Yeah, thanks, Andy, thanks for yeah, thanks Andy, for it was great that having were you watching on. tonight and participating in chat. That was great. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. And we we really loved uh, the the four people who are actually watching live. That's a, it's a new <laughs> yeah. record. Okay. Four, four is our new record. Guys, uh, I, so, I do want to say thanks for having me. I also want to uh, say this was a great practice run. Are we going to record it now? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll get started right <laughs> after this on record, the the real one. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, great. Thank you, as always, uh, Andy. We really loved having you on, uh, and thanks for taking the time to to join us. Yes, I know, I know, it. it's late. It's, it's past midnight, and uh, you know, <laughs> the three of us are used to this. I know you're not quite. <laughs> totally, my pleasure. <laughs> but you know, you're used to staying up past midnight to deal with the DevOps issues. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, my phone's ringing right now. There's a problem at work. (laughs) And thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. Uh, You know, whether you are watching live or or listening to the recording after the fact, we hope that you enjoyed the discussion and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Static Void Podcast.